Okay, while the buckets are going round, if you have a Bible with you, you might want to be turning to Hebrews chapter 11. If you haven't got a Bible, the words should appear on the screen, and uh, you'll be able to follow there. If you have, then you might want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you haven't been with us, we've been, uh, when I've been preaching anyway, we've been making our way through the letter to the Hebrews. We arrived at chapter 11 a few weeks ago. This is our third visit to Hebrews chapter 11. You see, it starts with that wonderful description of faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then secondly, he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. He's going to look at so many of the, uh, the characters of the Old Testament as we go through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And so a couple of times ago, we looked at verse 1 and 2. We looked at that great description. We looked kind of almost at the whole chapter because of that, looking at all these different characters. And uh, then last time we were looking at this, we looked at verse 3. Uh, and that great foundational truth. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith, we understand God made everything. And so from now on, we're, we're kind of walking our way through Genesis and then the rest of the Old Testament. We've looked at the first three verses. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit this week. So we're going to look at verse 4 to 6. Three verses this week. Rushing on. Yep. And we look at the first, first two characters that he, he talks about in this chapter. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4. By faith, Abel brought, a better, brought God a better sacrifice than Cain did, a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So as the writer launches into looking at different characters from the Old Testament, different examples of faith, he's going to keep coming back. By faith, he did this. By faith, he did that. By faith, she did this. By faith, so-and-so did this massive thing. By faith, this happened. On and on and on with different characters. But first and foremost, we come to these two men, Abel and Enoch. Two men we, from Scripture we know fairly little about. Now, Enoch particularly, Abel we may be familiar with. The story of Cain and Abel is fairly well known. But nonetheless, relatively little is written about them in Scripture. We see a few verses each in, in Genesis. We see the Cain and Abel story in Genesis chapter 4. We see... Enoch, 
in a few verses in Genesis chapter 5. Perhaps a further couple of mentions through some genealogies, uh, through a bit of prophecy in Jude, we hear of Enoch. But all that we see about them, we don't see specific great exploits. See, we're about to get to verse 7. We don't see in verse 4 to 6 with Abel and Enoch, we don't see an ark built in the desert. We don't see some great victories in battle. We don't see miraculous events like the walls of Jericho coming down. We don't see someone leading his people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. We don't see that here. We don't see someone being asked to go on a great journey to a land they've never seen before. But we do see two men held up as great examples of faith. What we see, we don't see obvious great exploits. Looking at these two, primarily we see simple examples of living out faith. Believing God through the living of their lives. By worshipping and by walking it out. Worshipping by faith, walking out their lives by faith. We're going to look at each in turn. We're going to look at Abel, then we're going to look at Enoch, and we'll kind of bring it back together at the end. So what do we see first? Hebrews 11 verse 4, we see Abel. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice, sometimes translated. Abel brings worship to God. Abel brings his offering, his sacrifice. In short, Abel worshipped by faith. We read the story in Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Genesis 4, familiar story for many, I would imagine. Genesis 4 and verse 3, or just, just starting in verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And then we see, we know, if we've heard the story before, we know what comes next. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. See, a story of two brothers bringing 
sacrifice, bringing offering to God. And we hear very quickly, Abel's offering was accepted. God looked on Abel's offering and was pleased. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. As it says in Hebrews, by, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Well, why? What was, what was so much better about it? Why was Abel's sacrifice looked on with favor by God? Why was Cain's not looked on with favor? You see, some have drawn attention to the nature of what they brought. They say, well, primarily maybe it's about the fact that Cain brought the fruit of the land. He's bringing crops. But Abel brought an animal. And maybe thinking about things like the verse, even the, the writers of the Hebrews talked about, that there is no forgiveness without blood. Maybe they think, actually, maybe that's what it was all about. Maybe, maybe Cain should have brought an animal. Well, possibly. But actually, it would seem Cain and Abel are bringing an offering of praise to God. And they're both bringing appropriate offerings. They're both bringing the fruit of their labor. It tells us, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 4, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the land. That's what they did. That was their role. And they both bring offerings from what, they have, what God has enabled them to achieve. So why then is Abel's sacrifice accepted and Cain's not? Well, I would suggest, and we'll come back to this, that Cain's attitude to God's correction gives us a big clue, which we'll come back to. But the writer of the Hebrews Get straight to it. By faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, Abel brought it. By faith. You see, the writer of the Hebrews brings us straight to the issue. This is a heart issue. This is a matter of the heart. We see in these verses, Abel is praised for bringing a better offering by faith. Abel brings acceptable worship by faith. And Cain is rejected. See, we're not told explicitly whether or not there was anything wrong with what Cain brought. Now, perhaps there's a, perhaps there's a very subtle indication. Perhaps, I only offer this as a perhaps. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Abel brings of some of the firstborn of his flock. Perhaps there's a subtle indication. Abel's bringing, putting God first here. Abel's saying, I'm going to bring of the firstborn. I'm going to bring of the, the best, perhaps. Perhaps. Possibly, but regardless. Even if that's true. In fact, probably even more so if that's true. What we're drawn to is this. This is an issue of the heart. This is the issue of who are you putting first. This is an issue of... How are you coming to worship? Are you coming in faith? By faith, Abel brings a better offering. You see, whether or not there was a physical issue, i.e. something wrong with what Cain brought, it's clear there was a problem with Cain as he brought it. John picks up on Cain's attitude, Cain's heart, the problem with Cain in his first letter, 1 John 3 and verse 12, he focuses, he's telling his readers, don't be like Cain. Don't be like him. Don't fall into the same trap. 1 John 
3 and verse 12. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. It's fairly obvious that murdering his brother was, was evil. But then he goes on, and why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. As he picks up on this fact, actually, what he'd done, the way he had come, his actions were evil. And so we come to Cain's reaction. John's hinted at this. His reaction reveals something of the state of his heart. Let's go back to Genesis 4, verse 5. But on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. He's angry. What particularly is going through his head and through his heart Perhaps we can only guess that. But was it, what was it? Was he jealous at Abel? Was he saying, look, God, this isn't fair. Why is Abel being accepted and I've not? Perhaps there's a sense of, I deserve better. God, why should you judge that my offering isn't good enough? But as we go on, we see God's challenges, Cain, on his attitude. We see... God's focus goes far beyond the specific sense of whether the sacrifice was good or bad. God's concern is for Cain's heart, for his very kind of life and soul. Let's look at Genesis 4, 6, and 7 as we see it. Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, God can see, Cain, you're in danger. You're in danger. Cain, you're displaying a wholly wrong attitude to me. In a sense, his anger suggests, God, you've got this wrong. God, you've got it wrong. I know. Why shouldn't my offering be accepted? God, you've made a mistake. You see, God's gently saying to Cain, Cain, I haven't got it wrong. God, Cain, I don't get it wrong. There's a gentle sense of saying to Cain, Cain, believe me. Trust me. Come in faith and be accepted. He brings the warning, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Your heart is in danger. Your heart's massively in danger. And what do we see next? Abel is dead. Abel's dead. We see the difference. Why did Abel bring a better offering? By faith. Because he came with a heart of worship to God. By faith, he did it. Abel believed God and came in worship to him. The implication is that Abel believed who God was. Believed God is worthy of this. In short, believe that God is God. He's God. I'm just a man. He's the one who knows best. Abel believed God and came in worship. As Jesus encourages us, as he encouraged the woman at the well in John chapter 4. 
John chapter 4 and verse 21. We see this encouragement. He's been talking to this woman for a bit of time when he comes to this point. They're talking about, the woman's talking about, we believe we worship on this mountain. You Jews believe you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says to her, In verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, Jesus, in talking to the woman at the well, kind of takes the issue away from, well, is it supposed to be here or is it supposed to be there? Takes it away from the practicalities of where they should worship. Say, come with a heart of faith. Come in spirit and in truth. I believe the author to the, the writer to the Hebrews is doing a similar thing here. By faith, Abel offered a better offering. See, it'd be so easy for us to narrow down and focus on, well, what did Cain do wrong? What did Abel do right and what did Cain do wrong? Should Cain have brought a sheep? Should Cain have made sure that his crops looked a bit better or something? And to, to fix that kind of idea and think, well, well, what about us? As we're living our life, what are the things I need to do? What I need to tick off to make sure I'm doing the right thing? like Abel, doing the right thing, rather than like Cain, doing the wrong thing. As we come in corporate worship, perhaps if we, if we make sure we sing the right song, or pray the right prayer, or read the right scripture, or, or make sure that the right spiritual gifts are, uh, are operating at the right time. If we tick all those boxes right, then God will say, yes, that's acceptable. No. Yes, of course, God loves to hear Great words of, of songs sung to him. Great, great prayers prayed. The spirit moving amongst us. But he's concerned with our hearts as we come. That we come in worship. That we come in adoration to him. Not looking to tick the boxes and get it right. But looking to, to lift him up. To come in faith, believing him. coming earnestly, willingly, gratefully before a God who is worthy of everything. Not in some way, oh, well, I suppose I'd better. Or to come with an attitude of trying to tick a box to earn some merit. You see what we see in Hebrews 11 verse 4, Abel by faith brought a more excellent offering. And he was commended as righteous. God spoke well of his offering because he came in faith. So what we see from Abel is Abel displays faith in worshipping God. Nothing flashy. Nothing, no major, look. Look at this, look what I have done. Look, look what Abel managed to do. No ark or a Jericho or a whatever. He came and worshipped God. He worshipped God by faith. And as we see, it cost him his life when Cain reacted badly. 
God calls us to come and worship by faith. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 of this. In view of God's mercy, he says. In view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. God calls us to bring our lives as worship by faith, by faith, coming before him by faith. That's our aim, our goal, to believe him and bring acceptable worship like Abel did. But then as we move on, we see Enoch. Abel brought worship by faith. Now, Enoch, we know even less about from Scripture. We see his life mentioned in Genesis 2. In, not Genesis 2, Genesis as well. Because it's in Genesis 5. Genesis 5, firstly in verse 18, we see Enoch was born. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And then we see three, four more verses from verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. That's all we see in Genesis 5. We see then Enoch's included in the several other genealogies through the, through the Bible in different places. Nothing particularly is mentioned. Again, we see no major events from his life. Nothing obviously significant. Intriguingly, we do, we do see, we get a glimpse that Enoch heard God. Enoch heard God as Jude quotes him, quotes his prophecy in Jude verse 14 and 15, we see Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them, what Jude has just been talking about. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they've committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We see Enoch hearing from God. Jude picks, that pro- picks up that prophecy. He says, look, this is what Enoch prophesied. We don't, and maybe more of the New Testament is influenced by Enoch, but that's the only place where he's explicitly quoted. So we don't see an awful lot of Enoch, of what he heard, of what he did. But what we see is a man who walked with God. He walked with God. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch walked faithfully in a, in a time when wickedness was advancing. It's not too long in the grand scheme of things afterwards that we get to Genesis 6 verse 5 and God talks about the wickedness that was covering the earth and how he was going to have to bring a great flood to wipe out all of mankind. Bar Noah, who was faithful and righteous. 
But the time, maybe a couple of generations before, Enoch walked with God. As the wickedness was increasing, Enoch walked with God. And as Hebrews 11 tells us, he pleased God. And despite the fact that we know very little about him or what he actually did, the writers of the Hebrews wonderfully explains and brings, this, brings at this point this further explanation. What, it is, what is faith about? What is it? How do we please God? How do we live by faith? In verse 6, he's just told us that before, before he was taken, he, Enoch, was commended as one who pleased God. Then the writer says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Quite simply, how do we please God? Well, firstly, we must believe he exists. It's very, he brings this very simple point. We need to come in faith and believe that God exists. That who exists? As 1 Timothy 1.17 declares... Who is he? The king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. The one who, as the writer to the Hebrews has just declared, by his command created all things. God over all. The one and only God. Without faith it's impossible to please God because we must believe he exists and further that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. To declare, to please God, we need to believe He exists, and actually, we need to understand something of His character. We need to believe that God is a good God, and that those who seek Him are, are rewarded. It speaks echoes of what Jesus says in the New Testament Which of you fathers, though you are evil, if your son asked for, bre- for a fish, would give him a snake, or for bread, would give him a scorpion? How much more so? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who who ask? We have to believe. We come and believe that God is a good God. We believe who he is. We believe what he says. We believe in him and we believe him. And in fact, even here as he's talking about Enoch, we hear echoes of God speaking to Cain. Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, will you not be accepted? In one sense, not not so much saying, Cain, tick the box, do what is right, and I'll say, well done. But more so, Cain, seek me. Cain, believe me. Cain, trust me. Come, do what is right, Cain. Believe me like Abel. Come in faith. Believe that I am who I say I am that I am God and you are not. Come and seek me. You will not be disappointed. What the writer is saying, without faith it's impossible to please God because to come before... Come on, where's verse 6 gone? (laughs) It's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's by faith. See, we know very little about Enoch, and yet the writers of the Hebrews point out, actually, it's abundantly clear that Enoch was a man of faith. 
Because he not pleased God. Because he not pleased God. In walking with him, in going through his life, whatever ups and downs and whatever happened, we don't know. Yet we know he had faith. He believed God. Because he pleased him. God was pleased with him. And so we see this wonderful truth that by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. God said, well done, Enoch. I'm taking you to be with me. Enoch walked faithfully with God. You see here, right early in this chapter, we see these two men. And we see these examples of faith. Men who worshipped God and men who walked with God. You see, as we go through the book, as we go through the the chapter, chapter 11, we're going to see great stories as we would see it. Stories of arcs and Jerichos and Red Seas and great journeys and great battles and, and all these different things. How by faith, Jericho fell. How by faith, God led his people through the Red Sea. And we can cry out, wow, look at that faith. Look at that faith. Look at Noah, how he, he built a boat in the middle of the desert. As everyone went, what are you doing, Noah? We can look at Moses and think, by faith, he stretched out his arm and the Red Sea parted. Wow, what faith. We can rightly cry out, how they trusted God. And yet here, right here, the writer is drawing us, look at this. This is faith. This too is faith. We can look and see the great exploits, victories, achievements, even dying for him. This is faith. Even we can look between these two, Abel and Enoch, and say, look, Abel, he was murdered. He was, he was martyred. Cain took his life because Abel came by faith. And we can even think, well, that, that's faith. There is faith. And we even see it here by faith. Abel still speaks even though he is dead. And we see that immediately in Genesis 4 verse 10. Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood crying out for justice. By faith still speaking. Even as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees uh, in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 11. We can see Luke chapter 11 and verse 47. He's talking to the Pharisees, declaring, Woe on you, Pharisee, woe to you. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Even there, as Jesus speaks again, we can hear Abel's blood is still crying out, still crying out for justice. And even as the author to the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is going to go on to say, Abel's blood crying out, looking forward, looking for the day when the writer to the Hebrews can write, 
in Hebrews 12, verse 24. But now we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And we can say, look, this is faith, isn't it? Abel died and his blood cries out. Yes. Yes. Exploits, victories, heroic martyrs' deaths, making a stand in the face of persecution, stepping out and seeing God work mighty miracles. Yes, faith. Yes, it's all faith. All by faith. But more foundational, this is faith. Abel worshipped God. Enoch walked with God by faith. You see, what we're called to may involve great exploits, may involve great stands of faith. But we're called to believe God and follow where he leads. We see Paul raises up this shout in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. And that word translated live, it's got that sense in the Greek of, of walking something out. We walk out our lives by faith. We keep walking with God. We keep going as Enoch did. We bring our lives as worship to him, by faith, like Abel did. You see, by faith, offering up our lives, by faith, walking out our lives for him, following where he leads. It, it may look very different in each of our cases. It's going to look very different with different characters as we look through Hebrews chapter 11. Even as we look at Abel and Enoch, their lives look very different. Reminded, obviously, yesterday we celebrated with, many of us celebrated with Ellie and Ed as they got married. As they recognized that God had brought them, this, their races had brought them to this place where now their race goes on together. On the same day, we could hear the news that Nabil Qureshi had died after fighting a battle with cancer. If you remember, Nabil, you might know Nabil Qureshi from being the author of Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus and some other, uh, some other books as well. Dying uh, after a battle with stomach cancer at the age of 34. We see different races. We're going to be called to different races. Many of you will have come maybe here, maybe here as students, just arrived on a new phase of life. God's leading you. God's leading you on to run the race marked out for you. It may look very different. There'll be moments of celebration, moments of grief, even as Anna led us at the beginning. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to celebrate. But we're called to believe him and walk it out. That is what Abel and Enoch are remembered for. Not specific great exploits, but they believed God and they walked it out. And they close by bringing, in effect, the author to the Hebrews' conclusion of chapter 11 in chapter 12, verse 1. We're called to run our race. 
that God has set out before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Believe him wherever that race takes us. Believe him that he gives us the faith to stand where he leads us. Believe him as we live out lives of worship and lives walking with him. Amen.